The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Alicia Pinckney, Senior Global Apparel Designer for Timberland, speaks to design students about her pathway into the industry and how to stand out as a designer. for reaching out to me um, in our initial conversation. Um, it was nice to learn so much about this program because it was new to me. Honestly, after speaking to, to you, I learned that, you know, this was, you know, an actual program that was exploring all these worlds in the outdoor space, which is very important. Um, and I think it's great that you guys all had that opportunity. Oh, sorry. I see someone in the, in the crowd that I had a conversation with, Sierra Smith, uh, Rich. Uh, nice to see you here. Um, we had a chat on her um, project. But yeah, no, I'm really, um, it's super nice to see that there's specific, you know, programs designated to the outdoor space. And I think it's really awesome that you guys are diving into that. And I hope that, you know, after today's chat, any questions that you have, you can be inspired to really, you know, be inspired to just find jobs and careers in this space, in the outdoor space, in the footwear space, whatever space you're interested in. Um, I'm just here to basically tell my journey and hopefully um, inspire. Maybe you can find something that you might like that I am doing in my day to day. And it might spark some interest to you like, oh, wow, there's a career available in that. So, um, yeah, I want to keep it very um, I have a presentation, but, you know, I'm a very easygoing person. So I want to make sure that it can be a conversation. Um, yeah. With that being said, I'll just um, share my screen and um, I'll just walk you through, um, you know, the presentation that I put together that really just outlines what I do as an apparel designer and um, just to talk a bit more about my background. Okay, so yes, Chase mentioned, um, I'm the global senior apparel designer for Timberland based here in Switzerland. Um, a lot of people ask, why Switzerland? Um, so just to answer that really quickly, you know, um, Timberland was founded in New Hampshire and the actual uh, footwear is actually based in New Hampshire. However, when you look at um, different industries and you look at different companies and you look at um, the regions that they really cater to, it makes sense as to why we're sitting here. So um, initially, you know, the apparel um, was really big in the European uh, market, which is why we were originally in London. I wasn't there. I wasn't in London. Um, but they moved the team over to Switzerland when they were acquired by VF. And that's when I joined the team. So back in 2017, they were tasked with hiring a new um, creative team, a uh, global team. And, um, you know, it wasn't until like I actually joined the company like a few months later that I found out I was their first hire, which I felt super honored to be, you know, because they moved from London to Switzerland and not everyone wanted to move. So they were really tasked with a big, you know, opportunity to really build a new a new team from the ground up 
And um, yeah, I've been with the team now since 2017. Um, my background is in menswear design. So I have 10 years of menswear under my belt. But as of um, October 2020, I was recently promoted to lead the women's apparel unit um, within the Timberland brand. So um, that's been something really exciting over the past six months to really, you know, be the one driving and elevating the, the women's apparel, especially from a woman's point of view, you know. Um, oftentimes you have, you know, men designing women's apparel, which isn't a problem. I just said that I've been designing men's for the past 10 years, <laughs> but it is very intricate and very interesting in this moment and time that we're living in right now to have, you know, a woman designer being able to, you know, be able to uplift this product. Um, so just to give you a bit information about myself, um, and this is just the international headquarters before COVID when we were going to the office every day. And now, as you can see, I'm working from home. <laughs> so um, I think our work life and our um, our personal life has kind of blended itself in together. But, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for the silver lining that's come out of the work from home situation because I'm able to network so much more virtually. Like I, I was able to meet Chase and I'm able to be on this call right now with you guys. So, you know, it's a lot of silver linings that happened um, within 2020. And I encourage any students, especially anyone who's embarking on about to graduate soon. Um, I don't want you to be discouraged because of the climate of the world. I want you, you to really be encouraged to use this opportunity to, um, you know, network with different people virtually if you can. You know, a lot of people are at home, so they are more willing if there is time for them uh, to speak to other people and, um, you know, just encourage students. So this is our beautiful campus. Um, yeah, and this is just like a quick video to show pretty much. Um, so I, this is actually a video when COVID was a thing. That's why you see like the hot desk signs and things like that. But um, this is pretty much our office. And um, yeah, it's really cool. It's, you know, it's a bit unfortunate to not be there every day because I think that's, that's what contributes to your actual job, working at a cool space. So um, I'm pretty sure you guys are into product and design. So if you can see like all the beautiful architecture, you know, something lovely to be able to walk into the office like that every day. Um, and then just to tell you a bit about myself. So I know that Chase is really keen and you know, me talking about how I broke myself into the industry. So um, with that being said, um, I went to Philadelphia University for my um, bachelor's in fashion design. Um, and I graduated uh, in 2013. And during that time, um, the economy wasn't the best where everyone was getting jobs right away outside of um, after graduating. But for me, I was always ambitious and I was always networking even within college. And I think that's something that I really want to stress to students while they're still studying, because sometimes they believe that um, while they're in school, whether it's four years or five years, that's their tunnel vision and only focus on school. And yes, I encourage that, but I also want you to know that while you're in school, you're a student, but you're also a young professional in a sense that you should be making these connections, you should be networking, getting internship opportunities. So um, yes, focus, focus, focus on your studies, but find a way to make um, how do I word it? How to find a way to make your education and your schooling centered around what your goal is in life, if that makes sense. So for me, when I was in college, you know, um, I, I remember I would be in class and I'm like, um, hi, Professor So-and-so, I can't come tomorrow because I need to go to New York for interview. Like, I, I will always do this. And he would be like, OK, Alicia. All right. Great. And he kind of respected that about me because he knew that obviously school is school. It's, my, it's important for me. Um, but at the end of the day, school is prepping me for the real world. And if I have an opportunity in the real world, hence an interview in New York, 
he's going to allow me to take that. Of course, I need to make up any missing work or anything like that. So um, that's kind of how I, I got my start. I just was really ambitious during school. Um, I had my first internship uh, my junior year of college working for Calvin Klein in New York. And um, I was able to get that internship through um, an organization that I was a part of on campus called the Black Retail Action Group, which is a big um, industry network um, with people like Russell Simmons and P. Diddy, Angela Simmons, all these great people who are really about pouring into young designers. So um, I had that opportunity. It was really great. Um, and then from there, um, after graduating from college, um, I kind of was in a position where I didn't have a job right away. But I had created my own menswear brand, um, you know, right after graduating. And I kept myself busy with, number one, fine tuning my personal brand, like who was Alicia? And, and that entailed making business cards, you know, making sure I had my resume and everything together. But simultaneously, I was working on um, my collection, my brand that I had. And um, I'm from Philadelphia, which I don't know if I mentioned yet, but I'm originally from Philadelphia. And the Philadelphia scene was super creative, especially during that time. There was a lot of entrepreneurs. So I kind of tapped into that. I would go to I was featured in a lot of Philly Fashion Week shows, New York Fashion Week. And that kind of kept me busy while I was kind of depressed about not having a job in the industry. But, you know, um, I think I say all that to say not to discourage you, but to really let you know that, you know, there are opportunities that end up coming. So for me, um, I end up uh, finding a job at uh, PVH in New York um, around probably six months later after I graduated. It was a temporary job because the market really didn't have enough head count to hire a lot of people at the time. But, you know, I had such a great time working there for the first three months. And my manager, you know, when um, I was replacing someone on maternity leave and when that person returned, my manager did a good job of like, you know, introduced me to all the different directors, directors in a company because um, they really wanted to find a head count in, within the company to allow me to join. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't really head space. But um, I think that's an important factor that whatever opportunity that you guys get, whether it's internships or um, I don't know, anything that you might have a co-op, take that opportunity to really latch on to your manager and make sure that they know who you are and what your career interests are. Because nine times out of 10, those managers are invested to making sure that they can grow their young talent, especially if they're coming in as an entry level or intern. Um, so long story short, I feel like the story is so long, but um, I end up uh, moving back to Philadelphia and I started working for Urban Outfitters again at maternity leave. And at that point, I was like, how can I move out of the country? Because nothing is permanent here right now. <laughs> so I, um, I end up going to London and Paris, which I had already planned a trip for my graduation trip. And um, when I did that, I, uh, I set up an interview with like a school in London even though I was there for vacation. And I was really sold to go to that school, got back to Philadelphia. Then I saw another program um, in Italy for, for a master's program. And I ended up applying to that first because it had a scholarship attached to it and it had a quicker deadline. So after I applied for that, before I can even apply to the London school, I found out that I won the first place prize to get my master's in Italy. And I had three months to move to Italy. So I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy, um, you know, because I'm pretty sure you guys can all imagine the feeling of wanting to, you know, you know, as a young professional trying to get in the industry and the fact that I applied for a global scholarship through Vogue Italia and I was accepted, you know, that really meant a lot to me. So um, that's another thing that I want to encourage you guys to really research the opportunities that are out there in terms of scholarships um, and never think that um, a dream is too big because 
here I was. I think it was maybe October that I found out that I was moving to Italy and I moved to Italy in January. Um, so I ended up getting my master's in Milan. Um, while I was in Milan, I worked with so many different companies and networked with them. Um, I actually uh, did a project for Timberland at the beginning of my master's. I graduated. And after I graduated, I stayed in Milan another year working for Stone Island um, and B&W work. So it was a nice synergy of bringing two different um, uh, industries together in a very tactical design way of thinking. And I had a lot of fun working on that. Um, but again, that wasn't a permanent job. And at this point, I may have been like 25. And I was like, all right, I want a job job, like a constant corporate you know, job. So I ended up um, applying for a job in the US, which I knew at the time because of everything that I had under my belt that, you know, my New York experiences, you know, my international experience at that point, I just knew if I applied to America, um, that someone would hire me right away. And, th and at that moment, I didn't want to move back to America, but I kind of was like, Alicia, you need to do it, apply. And, you know, I applied and lo and behold, like literally the next week, I found out that I got the job at Reebok in Boston. Um, and I was specifically working for Adidas SLD, the sports licensing division. So I moved from Italy to Boston, which was a new city for me, um, completely, completely different city. But I figured, hey, I moved out of the country by myself was moving to another state in America. Um, and yeah, so I ended up, that was like my first real role in the sneaker industry. Um, and uh, I worked for them for less than a year because when I got there, they did a big transition where my department will be moving over to the West Coast. And with that being said, no one on my team knew who, who will be going. So I kind of felt like I was back on the market again. And it happened that perfect timing that, you know, the connections that I made in Italy two years prior um, remember, I told you guys I did like a project with Timberland. Um, and in that same time frame, while my department was moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, Timberland was moving from London to Switzerland. Now, they had no idea that my company was going through this, but, you know, they remembered the work that I did that kind of, you know, that's how I set myself apart. Like, I really went above and beyond on this project. Um, I went beyond the brief. You know, they gave me a specific brief, but I, I did extra stuff. Like, I made accessories to support my, my designs. Like, I did a lot of extra stuff so I could stand out. So that guy reached out to me and was like, hey, Alicia, you know, if you're interested in moving back to the U.S. or overseas, I know you're currently working at Reebok, but we're going to be opening a lot of jobs um, in a few months. If you're interested, you should apply. I applied, and here we are. <laughs> So that's pretty much my long story short. And I think the some of the most important things that come out of that is making yourself stand out. If you have a brief, how do you if if there's a brief that someone gives you for a project and maybe 20 other people are doing that same thing, what's that extra thing that you could do to make you stand out and then have someone remember you two years later and say, hey, we would love for her to work for our company. And then number two, that that opportunity about networking and hold on to relationships, whether it's your professors, whether it's um, you know, managers or, you know, internships, those are very important. And I think these are big. And then also the last thing is the resources of scholarships. You know, um, had I not applied to that scholarship to move me to Italy, I don't know if I would have been sitting right here in Switzerland right now. So long story about um, who I am. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been designing for years now. I've always been into design. Um, I've been trained technically through um, pattern making and, uh, you know, sketching and, um, you know, draping and, you know, technical sewing and um, to be able to find myself in the actual career, you know, for something I, you know, that I applied for as back in college is really rewarding um, because I know a lot of my peers didn't get a chance to make it into the actual designer role. 
um, because it can be tough sometimes. And I think you just need to be encouraged and keep going. My, my story wasn't a lateral story. I had no's. I applied to Project Runway, made it to the final round. And then they told me I was too young. And then, you know, I applied to so many things. But, you know, all these no's really meant were they were really meant to lead me to where I am now. So, um, yeah, that's just a bit about me. And um, just to answer the question about what it means to be global. So a lot of brands, you can have a, a job as a designer or a merchandiser or, you know, a product developer, and you can be really only working for one specific market. It depends on what the brand nature is. For me, for Timberland, um, we design globally and it, and it means exactly what it says, you know, um, globally means, you know, America, you know, the North American business unit, the European market, and then also all of, all of Asia. So with that being said, we design with all these regions in mind. And, um, you know, we have to understand the consumer via their demographic, the ages, their buying practices, their likes, their dislikes, you know, their weather, all these things. And um, how do we do that when we're based in Switzerland? I'm American. You know, I have I'm not Asian. I don't know about what it's like to be Asian and what they want. So research is very important. So what we do is we always conduct market travel. So um, right before coronavirus, I was in these places here, um, Amsterdam, Antwerp, Portland, um, Tokyo. I was in all these different places literally right before COVID. Um, and what it is, it helps us because even though I'm a designer, my cross-functional partners also travel as well. You know, so I have my merchants traveling so that we can be aware together what's happening um, because those cross-functional relationships are very important. Um, and then you have your product developers who actually, you know, are the one who are the liaisons between design and the actual vendor to make these products come to life. Um, so then this is like my day-to-day -day calendar, um, you know, the product calendar and the process where we have briefs, which are requests from the regions or merchants. And as I mentioned to you guys before, you know, we have regions because we are, you know, we design globally for Asia, Europe and market. So sometimes they'll have um, different requests and we'll make sure how does the, these requests you know, how do they sit in line with our brand authenticity? And, um, you know, from a design point of view that we can, we can lead it design, design led, if, if that makes sense. So um, we always start off the season after traveling, we do a round of discoveries where we, as the design team, we come up with ideas that we want to do for the season, um, really leveraging our, um, our archive product to really make sure that we're authentic in our space and where we're coming from. And then just try to find ideas to, you know, innovate new fabrics or new ideas, new trims and things of that nature. Um, so it's a really nice collaborative approach when it comes down to making product for the market. Um, and then again, the market report. So the designers, the merchandisers, we all create like reports to talk about what we saw while we were traveling. And that's everything from what was on the street, what was in the store, you know, we'll go to museums and all these different things. Um, and then we have the line plan, which is created by the merchandisers and it's combining a regional briefs and then also the design-led stories. So um, I say all this to say that, you know, you could be doing one job. You might be in PLM, you might be in product development. Me, myself, I'm in design. But the whole full circle of all the cross functions are very, very important. And it's also important to understand what the roles of those cross-functional partners are. So um, I'm not sure if there's a lot of designers in a room. I know you were, um, Chase was mentioning that we have um, product developers and things of that nature, but you know, I think it's important that you guys understand what the day-to-day -day is of different functions. And I think it's really nice that Chase has organized these, um, these calls because you guys get to see, you know, what's out there, what's available in terms of a career. And it can help you decide like, hey, I might want to go into merchandising or, you know, so hopefully that can uh, inspire you guys when you think about your career. 
Um, and then everything I just mentioned, again, the key players are your merchandisers, like the product managers, and then the product developers, the liaison between design and this develop the vendors. And then, you know, my process, you know, I do a lot of detailed tech pets and uh, technical drawings um, where I build, like, I have a style, I sketch it, and then I go in and I say, okay, this is a twin needle, this is a five-inch pocket. I give all the details, all the specs, so that I can hand it over to my product developer and she can go in, um, or I say she because my current developer is a she, but he, she, whoever it may be, um, they can go and, you know, communicate all these things to the vendor and make sure that they are negotiating price, um, fabric prices and things of that nature. Um, yeah. And then the vendors, they start to develop, develop the styles. And the turnaround is, you know, vendors provide samples at various stages where we have Proto, CS1, CS2, SMS. And then we have bulk production. So within all of these, we also have specific stages where we make sure we fit the item before we move on to the next stage and before it moves on to bulk. So especially if we have a new silhouette, we need to make sure we perfect it before it gets to that production line. Um, and one of those things that we do as a design team and also as product developers is we travel to our factories. So as I mentioned before, like as you guys can see with... Um, with the market visits, I travel a lot with my merchants, with my merchandisers. But when it comes down to the, the factory visits, I travel a lot with my product developers. So I'm, I, I have really close relationships with both my merchants and then also my developers because diff there's different stages of the process and different stages of travel, whether it's inspiration or, um, you know, factory visits looking at the product. So that's really nice to be able to, you know, travel in both lenses and um, with two different um, cross-functional teams. And then this is just an example of, you know, factory visits. So this is one of my visits to India um, where they literally have, um, you know, everything from embroidery to print to the wash. But I thought it was cool to show you that because um, a lot of people don't really know what happens in the factories. And, you know, the, they have these machines that whatever the artwork is provided, they can execute it. Um, and it, and it, the simultaneous, how they do it so quickly is really amazing. And that's why there's such a strong importance on the factory. This is a print um, for like screen printing. And then um, the last video is for washing and, um, you know, things of that nature. So it's really cool to be able to understand what happens in a factory because it helps you understand from a design point of view or a product development point of view, what it goes, uh, what, what goes into a design what's going to be difficult at bulk, you know, if that makes sense. So all these um, factors are very important. Um, ah. There we go. Okay. Um, so then I just wanted to kind of walk you guys a bit through some example product and processes. Um, I know I talked a lot about, um, you know, where we are in the sketch stages and inspiration, but this is just some inspiration. So um, this collection has already been out in stores. And, um, you know, the way of thinking from a design point of view, we, we want to leverage what our icons are. And how can we, um, you know, bring that to an apparel point of view? So we rolled out our icons pack where we had sweats and polos um, and knits and things of that nature to really tie back and celebrate the icon. Um, and on the right is where you see um, me working in um, 3D design. So um, I, I design in so many ways. I design in 2D in a sense that I'm sketching or I'll design where I'm building a tech pack in Illustrator. So Illustrator is something that I use every day. Or um, something that's been new to our team for the past, I guess, three years now is 3D design. So um, I also design in 3D as well because it can be an easy selling tool for, um, you know, for fact or for factories, for salespeople, just to really understand um, the garment. So, um, yeah, just put like a quick snapshot. So um, there's so many different um, 
uh, 3D programs, which I'm pretty sure some of you may be already aware of um, if you're already using them in your school. But it's such a cool tool because sometimes the flat technical render isn't enough to sell to a salesperson. Sometimes they need to see it in 3D. And on a sustainable front, this really helps because if you have a core product like this that doesn't have that much detail in terms of a big silhouette or something crazy, you can literally, you know, save money, save, uh, uh, be sustainable to the environment by reducing samples and, you know, on the simple styles, creating a 3D render. So there's so many things that can come into the line in the process of uh, design itself. And then again, this is some more um, sample product where you start off with the sketch and this is an idea of what a tech pet could look like, all the details that I have to provide. Um, and then there's more pages to show like the scales of the, the pocket that I would like, um, all these details. And then this is how you can see how it comes together in terms of a merchandising. Um, so I, I'm, I'm an apparel designer, but I merchandise a lot with the footwear design. I built my product with footwear. So you can see the storytelling of, you know, working with the merchandisers to make sure that the collections can speak to, you know, not only just the apparel, but also with footwear. So, um, yeah, this is just another sample product that's already in the market. And um, you'll see just the development stages from, you know, our archive jacket and how do we reimagine that into like a sweat. So, um, you know, Timberland is really big on our archive. We have a lot of archive from, you know, the early, you know, 80s and 90s. And um, really leveraging that as a point of view can really give us authenticity and design, but in a different lens. So I took the archive jacket here and I did it in the, line, in the lens of a youth sport. Um, design. So really trying to translate that energy and um, really keep the authenticity of the brand. Um, and then this is just how you see it uh, final in store and, in, and um, also on the websites, um, just to show that full circle of how things come to life. And then this is just another um, example product, again, of, um, you know, bringing in uh, that design from you know, designing the trim details from the artworks, uh, paying attention to, you know, boucle mixtures with embroideries and, um, you know, paying attention to what's happening in the footwear world to really bring it to life. And um, it's, really, it's really rewarding when you can see your product being a selling tool, like a key uh, marketing item on the websites. Um, and it really is nice because you, you know what it was like to start from the beginning of the process and to see it here after working with all your teammates you know, from all the different functions to finally see that outcome is really rewarding. Um, and then this is just an example of in-store merchandising from window display to table lays to the up-close product, and then also apparel and footwear merchandising. So, um, you know, because Timberland is in that outdoor space, um, we, we claim so much. So we're in the outdoor space, but we also are very big on sustainability. So for me, I design, um, it's like in the back of my mind, I'm always designing on sustainability. I never really need to think about it because that's just how we've always designed as a team. So, um, you know, it's really nice, especially when you look at today where a lot of brands are trying to make sustainability a trend. So they're trying to chase after it. Like, Oh, how can we be sustainable? Whereas Timberland, you know, we, we, we didn't even talk about how sustainable we was because it was our second nature, but we're realizing we need to be more vocal about it. And um, also, it's really nice to be sustainable in the outdoor space um, because, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, appreciating the outdoors, you have environmentalists who really appreciate those two um, industries together. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much um, things that I focus on. But um yeah, that's my my day-to-day -day, um, job. Before I, before I open it up to uh, Q&A, um, I just wanted to share that I am the founder of um, a nonprofit called the Black Talent and Design and Fashion Fund. And um, as you all may know, maybe not, I'm not sure, but, you know, the industry, whether it's footwear, fashion, outdoor, 
whatever, you know, um, in this uh, in this product space, there's a huge lack of diversity. Um, and I think a lot of companies, you know, they realize that and they're trying to best, their best to address it. So for me, you know, I was inspired to create this nonprofit last year um, to support black and brown students who are studying to enter the industry. So if there's anybody in the call or if you can share this information with anyone um, who, who may meet the criteria of being, you know, a black and brown student who's trying to enter this underrepresented industry, there are scholarship opportunities. So um, last year. Um, in 2020, um, our sponsors were Target. And then also um, we had another footwear brand called Lelith based in New York. And they were our big sponsors for 2020. And I had just, you know, launched the brand or the nonprofit in um, August. And by December 2020, I was able to award a scholarship to 15 students across the U.S. And for me, it was just so rewarding because, you know, um, there's so many things that I'm passionate about in this outdoor space from technical design to sustainability, but also, you know, equality and diversity in the workplace, whether it's through women empowerment or through, you know, making sure that we have diverse people, brown and black people in the, um, in the industry as well. So um, with that being said, uh, as of February 1st, New Balance um, uh, launched their Black History Month collection. And um, they also announced their partnership with the Black Talent and Design and Fashion Fund. Will we be, will they'll be sponsoring 15 more students for the year 2021 um, for another scholarship. So um, yeah, just thought I'd plug that in. Um, we also offer mentorship opportunities as well um, to make sure that you know students are being supported. Um, so yeah, that's just, I'm gonna finish talking now. I feel like I've talked a lot, um, but I did wanna share my LinkedIn if anybody wanted to connect um, via LinkedIn. Um, sometimes I couldn't be slow to email and, um, and LinkedIn messages, but please don't feel uh, discouraged by that. Um, I, I always try my best to make time and, um, you know, sometimes the time difference can be a lot, but, you know, feel free to connect with me. I love connecting with students, um, from anywhere and, um, you know, yeah, I, I like to keep an open dialogue conversation because I know when I was your age, you know, it was really important for me to have conversations, get mentors, you know, so that I can be, you know, have a, a more clear understanding of what that future could look like for myself. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave this up on the screen for a bit for anybody who wants to like take a screenshot or anything. But um, Chase, uh, I think it's time if you want to open it up for Q&A. I hope I'm in time. I, I hope I didn't speed through it too much, but I was trying to respect the 50 minute uh, time frame. <laughs> well, that, that's perfect. We've got, we've got a bit of time left for questions. Okay, so if anyone has a question, you can drop it in the chat or you can raise your hand or just jump in. Feel free to ask any questions that you have. And I can start us off too. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got one. Um, you, you talked a little bit about just going beyond the brief. Um, and I really like that. I wrote that down. I like that, that thought <laughs> a lot. Um, so in your position where you're managing teams and you probably see a lot of new designers come onto the team, like what, what is it that new designers or people who are um, applying for roles on your team, like, what do you see in those people? Like, how do they go beyond the brief and really set themselves apart as a new team member? Okay. So, well, currently just to um, correct you on that. So I am the design lead for women's apparel, but I don't have a team. It's just myself. Oh. So when I say design lead, I'm literally, you know, designing and leading all of the team, you know, hopefully in the future we can um, bring more people under me because it is a lot. And I'm really grateful that they entrusted me with such a huge role because I'm literally building the women's apparel from ground up, everything out of where, 
sweats, polos, everything. So I don't have a team that I manage, but I can still answer that question in the sense that, you know, um, when when you build a collection, um, you have to think about, number one, the, the, the reality of our industry, you know, that is very competitive. You know, I think that's the most important thing that we kind of have to understand. So with that being said, you know, if there's so many people applying for this role or, um, you know, if there is a brief that you get within a class that might be connected to a co-op or internship, you have to always have in mind that, you know, yes, they send out a brief and they're probably expecting this one thing of what that brief is. But the moment a student or whoever, a young designer steps out of that brief, and goes beyond and, you know, gives gives that person who briefed the brief another um, another perspective, another way of thinking that th- that alone really um, says a lot about yourself and how you can really think outside of the box. And that can also be a good leverage in a sense that there, people might want to hire you because they might say, wow, like I didn't even think of this, which is why I didn't include it in the brief. But they, we have someone thinking different. And I think that's why diversity is, is so important, because when you have so many different people, whether it's men versus women or, you know, um, so many different people from different parts of the world, European, Asian, American, it's that diversity of thought that goes beyond a brief. So um, I know sometimes a brief alone can be a lot. And, you know, I, I can understand, I can relate to, you know, whether you're product developers or designers or whatever. But if you can just push yourself just a little bit, a little bit further to do. And it, and I think that also you can put your stamp on who you are as a designer, um, you know, and um, I, I don't want to keep calling out Sierra, but I, I had a chat with Sierra for a project that she's working on. And the fact that she kind of went above and beyond to make sure that she was speaking to her product consumer focus. That's amazing, you know. And that's something that also happens in the workplace. You know, it's not a mandatory thing. But, you know, when I first got into my role as a woman's designer, I made it a point. I scheduled calls with people in Asia, people people in America, and then also women in Europe, because I wanted to hear directly from them their point of views. So that's a true example of stepping out of the brief or taking initiative to make sure that you can create a product that really stands out. That's great. We've got some questions here in the chat. How did developing your own brand help you find work later on in your career? Oh, that's a good question. So um, I think in the corporate space, a lot of people who are hiring managers, they really respect um, when you've had that knowledge of balancing, balancing, balancing so many different roles. So, um, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have any experience of doing anything on your own, but sometimes you're you're by yourself doing everything, you know? And because of that, I had that entrepreneurial mindset and a lot of hiring managers really appreciate that because they know that I'm tapping into not only designing, but marketing, but, you know, connecting with people. Like I'm doing all these different things. And to be honest, now that I think about it, I think that's why that kind of makes sense as to why I'm, I'm in the role that I'm in right now. You know, I'm the, the, I'm the youngest designer on my team and I've been tasked with such a huge responsibility of, you know, building this business unit. Which for me, you know, it kind of really is reminiscent of everything that I was doing for my own brand, except for I'm working for another brand. So I'm taking all the skills that I learned and, you know, multitasking, you know, managing so many aspects of, you know, trims and, you know, development of fabrics and, you know, the entire line range with, uh, with the merchandisers. I'm taking all those aspects that I learned on my own um, and applying it to a skill set while I'm working for a company. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, that helped me a lot. A lot of people really appreciate, um, that ambition. And I'm not, I'm not here to say that, oh, 
Go out and create your brand because, you know, that's that's not what I'm trying to encourage at all. I just I think that anything that you might be passionate in, um, it might you never know. It might somehow connect to um, uh, a skill that you have and that you can, you know, that you can contribute to the world. So even people who are applying for jobs, don't be afraid. Like, say, if you have a passion project on the side, like for me, I have a passion project of upcycling. So um, I actually have my sewing machine on my desk here with my laptop because I'm always over the weekend, I'm always taking my old clothes and, you know, revamping them and creating something new. And that's become like my passion project. And, um, you know, that stuff really reflected the things that I'm doing in my design space, like for corporate. So, you know, I shared with my manager some of the stuff that I worked on for my own personal self and to see how that synergy can can relate. So um, if you're applying for jobs, you know, um, if you have like, I'm pretty sure people pick, picked up a lot of hobbies during quarantine. So make sure you highlight things about yourself outside of the typical portfolio of, you know, this is what I do, but make sure you sell your, your passions and your, um, your personality as well. Um, so how does, how does working in Switzerland, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, how does working in Switzerland or any foreign country for that matter affect the way you work and what are barriers you had to overcome? So um, for me, uh, I definitely think that working in a different country, which a bulk of my career has been overseas now, um, is understanding the different cultures. So, um, you know, in America, we're used to working with, um, I mean, obviously in America, it's very diverse and we have so many different ways of thinking and things like that. But I feel like my time working in America, we kind of all, it's that culture. We all kind of have that same uh, culture, if that makes sense. But, you know, the moment that I'm on an international team and I'm the only American in my in my company here, um, I'm learning how other cultures approach their work, the way they approach their managers, their managerial style. And then also um, with that being said, I'm learning how to be flexible and navigate and how to work with different cultures, if that makes sense. Um, you know, so many people work so many different ways. And um, and sometimes I've learned that um, it, a lot has to do with culture. Um, uh, sometimes Americans get, um, we, they, we get labeled as the workaholics and, um, it's kind of true, <laughs> but, um, it's very interesting to be in this international space to kind of pick up with, and I'm not trying to put a label on different nationalities, but after having been, been here for six years, you know, it's kind of like, oh, wow, this is how this kind of person works. And it's very interesting. And you learn, you learn that way. Um, and then also with the languages, you know, we all speak English, but um, sometimes my Italian peers, um, you know, where English isn't their first uh, language, sometimes um, I find myself making sure that I use my Italian to replace some words that maybe they don't understand and then maybe un explaining them even more what that English word is. So it's a lot of um, cross communication in that sense, making sure we understand each other. Um, which which 3D programs do you recommend knowing to be competitive, competitive in the industry? So I really think it, it depends on what, um, what you're working on, whether you're working on apparel or footwear. I can advise some, um, some 3D in the apparel world of um, Clo. You have uh, V-Stitcher through Browseware. Um, I know also Gravity Sketch is pretty cool too. Um, and Gravity Sketch can both be in both a footwear and apparel. So, um, yeah, all these different different tools are very um, useful. Um, I wish when I was in school, when I was studying, that I had the opportunity to play around with those pro uh, programs. But because the way my program was set up, 3D wasn't in, in a requirement for apparel designers. 
So um, I always just connected with, you know, um, some friends in that world if I needed to like, I designed glasses at one point in my career. <laughs> um, and I connected with a 3D design student and he brought, he brought it to life. But I really do wish that um, I had the opportunity to kind of play around with it when I was in school. But I am fortunate that, you know, my company is invested in me and make sure that I'm learning it. But I can say that to you guys now that if you don't have 3D on your curriculum or, you know, a part of your program or your, uh, yeah, or your program, um, reach out to someone um, on in your school that, who's working on 3D and say, hey, can we can we collaborate? And because, you know, this exchange of skills is very important and it will benefit you long run. Um, uh, next, we have does your 3D does your work in 3D programs get used for actually patterning? Um, the garment, or is it mostly to help visualize in 3D? So um, there's two angles that you can look at that. Currently, um, we do a lot of it for um, visualizing and selling tools, but we have the capabilities of taking it up a notch and um, literally translate in that um, pattern. Because as I showed you guys in a pre presentation, all the different pattern pieces, all the pattern blocks, that is a perfect route for just sending it over to um, the vendor. But currently, we're trying to find out which vendors have those 3D technical skills um, because not a lot of vendors uh, have that set in. So it's a lot of like compromise, like making sure like we still invest in ourselves and learn in the program so that as you know, vendors catch up with us and actually have these products, it can be a complete um, because currently I, I do the sewing like you have those patterns. And then you sew the, uh, the product together as you would in real life. You do it all on, you know, that program. So you can easily just, you know, generate the tech pack and send it off. Um, but to answer that question, currently in this moment, now we do it to visualize, um, to help aid uh, 3D. And then how do you communicate effectively with different departments within a global company, apparel, footwear, marketing, and sales? Um, so, yeah, I think uh, we all just, um, I'm not speaking to all these different departments all the time. Um, mostly for me is uh, apparel and footwear um, because there's different functions who speak to other functions. So for me, um, we communicate just by making sure that we have like our monthly head to toe calls, where it's different functions from footwear and apparel and making sure that we're aligned in that sense. Um, yeah, I don't talk much with marketing and sales, um, but what we do from a design point of view is we make sure that our language that we want to speak about um, and push for marketing for that season we make sure that our design manager captures all that and he reports back to marketing to make sure that marketing is highlighting all the work that design is doing to tell that story and push it to the market. Um, yeah, I hope I answered everyone's question well enough. Um, if, there, if there's any more, I'll be happy to take some more. I don't know how much time we have left. We've got about five minutes. So okay. we can take a, a couple more for sure. Can I follow up on that last question a little bit? Yes. Where are you on the screen? Oh, okay. <laughs> Hi, Alicia. Hi. <laughs> um, so my question, I mean, when you're working on getting those design details for marketing or et cetera, like what are you kind of focusing on? Are you just like, these are the key elements of the product that really should Good be communicated? We're, we're focusing on storytelling. So um, when, whenever we, storytelling is so important. And from a design point of view, we always make sure we build a product that can either tie back to our authentic roots of the archive or something that makes sense that's on brand and it has a strong storytelling narrative, whether it's a storytelling through sustainability or storytelling via a concept. So those are very good, important um, uh, overarching themes that we give. 
And then we have the supporting elements like, oh, we chose this fabric because it really supports the sustainable storytelling that we're trying to give. Or we chose this trim because of that or this color because of that. So uh, we have really big storytelling and sustainability oftentimes. And um, we make sure that, that, you know, when we have product that sits together, whether it's outerwear or sweats, if it has a sustainable fabric to it, we make sure that marketing is aware of this is the color that we chose for that platform. And this is the story behind it. Well, it was a pleasure speaking to all of you. Um, again, uh, feel free if you want to reach out for anything. Um, you know, I, I'm always down to help. Um, I get a lot of different, um, I see a lot of different opportunities across my desk from different parts of the industry. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm always happy to connect people there as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Chase, do you have anything else to add? No, no, that's great. Thank you for taking the time. This was so valuable. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Of course. I, um, I appreciate being a part of this experience. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.